Plan Canada podcast. Kevin Lowe is one of the most respected individuals in hockey, and here's why. Seven-time NHL All-Star, six-time Stanley Cup champion. He's won the King Clancy Memorial Trophy and so much more, but recently he joined the Play On community in their board of directors. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you for doing this. Hey, my pleasure. Looking forward to talking about street hockey. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So uh, one thing that really jumps at me right off the bat, Kevin, is uh, when we look at your extensive resume from playing in the NHL, a first round pick, a, a world champion, and then general manager, uh, what made you want to join play on, you know, uh, accomplished so much where you just feel like you still have more to give to the hockey community? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I was approached by, um, by Scott Hill, uh, initially, when I listened to him speak, first of all, he's so passionate and he's done so much for play on uh, committed a big, uh, a big amount of his life because it's such a good, well, the concept's good. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's a great initiative. And as we were talking initially, it occurred to me, you know, how much I loved street hockey as a kid. I mean, we used to call it ball hockey. And uh, I mean, I played tons. I played it all the time. And, and in my days since I stopped playing in the NHL, I've played very little hockey, mainly because I got right into coaching and then into management, and then, you know, in becoming an executive. And um, so I really didn't have much time to play. And any of the times that I did get on the ice, just even if I wasn't playing shinny or anything, I was just on the ice by myself with a puck and a stick. You know, I realized that how much I enjoyed that experience. And, and I was thinking back as, a, you know, I, I would, as far as the street hockey thing's concerned, I would, as a kid, even if we didn't have anybody to play against, I'd have a net and a ball and I would stay out there for hours. Of course, it was that much better if you had a bunch of buddies and you could get a game going. But so uh, it all sort of came back to me. Um, I guess lastly, uh, why I thought play on was so important is that, you know, the, the face of Canada has changed in the last couple decades. You know, the country continues to grow, but the, the numbers in hockey don't grow. And that's largely to do with a lot of Canada's population are new Canadians and, and they don't really know about the game. They, they need to be, uh, they need to be given an opportunity to, to, uh, to have, to get a sense of the game and certainly street hockey is the cheapest way to do it. So I, th I think if I put my NHL hat on or my, my, uh, my ice hockey hat, thinking that more emphasis on street hockey, it's really a Canadian thing. And uh, if we can get, um, you know, a lot of new Canadians playing that uh, hopefully that goes a long way to get more participants on ice hockey. Kevin, so since you joined the board of directors, tell our audience, uh, what is the board of directors and some of the tasks that you're going to lead? Yeah, well, you know, right now, of course, play on had been successful, uh, had great support from, from hockey night in Canada and CBC for, for a lot of years. And then, uh, but unfortunately, some of the funding uh, disappeared. So really, uh, at this stage, we're, we're uh, play on needs some funding. And, and we've been working with uh, all types of uh, all levels of government um, across the country. There's a diverse uh, group uh, of, of directors on the board of play on. And, uh, you know, we're knocking on doors and trying to get to uh, convince people that, you know, play on is it's it's not really just a hockey product. It's uh, bringing Canadians together. 
Uh, it's a participation thing for people that remember that phrase. Uh, and it's a really healthy thing. And it's a community builder. There's, there's so many uh, aspects or angles uh, of the event play on that makes it enticing for everyone. So uh, uh, we're confident that we'll, we'll get things launched again in, in, um, in, the, uh, in 2022. Uh, we'd hope to get it uh, going again in 21, but uh, with the pandemic still, all the uncertainty, uh, it was really hard for, for, for companies and the government to commit on it. But uh, we'll be spending the winter uh, uh, hounding them. Uh, we've, we've, we have a lot of um, uh, very supportive politicians uh, uh, that, are, that are stepping up to, uh, because they recognize, the, again, on the athleticism side, on the participation side, getting Canadians out doing things. Uh, that's going to be front and center for 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 the government as well, uh, you know, particularly when we roll into next spring. Yeah, I I can't help but notice how you talked about just uh, boiling it down to just how fun it was being able to just rifle a ball into a net, and even better with your friends. It reminds me of our last interview with Ryan Sproul, who was a uh, Red Wing second round pick uh, a couple of years ago, and he talked about how uh, hockey it's his job, it's his lifestyle. And uh, this tournament almost brought him back to a kid again, how just out there for fun and, and you're enjoying the day. So I'm wondering if that's the same effect you have if you were to grab a stick at ball right now. Do you just uh, step back from the, the work and just enjoy the sport for what it is? Yeah, it, it, you know, unfortunately, I've got uh, one repaired hip and one uh, on the verge of being repaired. So I, I wouldn't be as mobile, mobile as I was. Uh, I, I I'd like to think that I was a, a, a decent ice hockey player, but I was even better ball, ball hockey player. I hated to lose and, um, and played a ton of it, but yeah, it, 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 uh, I really hope by, you know, by uh, this time uh, next year in 2022, I'm, I'm expecting to have my hip replaced in a couple months and then I'll be all healed up and ready to go and, and uh, really be able to get into it. Uh, I could use a little weight, uh, lose a little weight, mind you, but uh yeah, it, it, it brings back the memories of, um, and I really, I've said this to people as well, like don't, people don't realize, at least for me, how much street hockey meant for me to become an NHL player. My, you know, in those days, you know, I'm talking about the 60s, uh, we didn't have nearly as much ice as kids have nowadays. So any of this stuff, and we didn't have all the, the, the specialized training, all the stick handling, and all the stuff that the kids do nowadays. We just played street hockey. And, and so, uh, you know, I credit uh, street hockey, you know, getting me to the, the Hockey Hall of Fame. So we could pencil in for a couple of uh, point shots then. Hey, a couple of rockets from the point. Or, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I, I obviously a tenacious defender. And, uh, but uh, I could step up and make a play and, and, uh, and yeah, I had, you know, you know, now they use street hockey balls, but in our days we used old tennis balls. Right. And so you had to hit them just right to really rifle a tennis ball off the pavement, you know, and without shooting a bunch of rocks and stuff at the opponents at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know uh, Scott broke it down. There's an actual science to the ball he picked uh, to make sure it was uh, fluid. Like it was a very mobile enough, but still not overly bouncy. Uh, definitely a good question and you could hear that uh, the whole science behind the ball in our first podcast with Scott Hill uh, but uh, yeah 
that's uh it, it certainly is uh i can't wait to get out there myself just to go out and play and i don't think it'd be too hard to cover uh scott out in the celeb game uh, apparently he's quite the cherry picker <laughs> yeah the ball uh i mean the ball is critical too right i mean they it came a long way like i say in our day it was just uh you know, once the fuzz got off a tennis ball that was the ideal ball right um but uh yeah i know it's 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 uh i'm looking forward to it and and i've got uh, a grandson now who just turned one today actually so um looking forward to, to be able to you know pass the ball around with him uh in the not too distant future if you had to pick anyone to play with kevin who would you pick to play on your team uh god that's except for me kevin you you don't need to pick me just because i'm here all right so oh i think of some of my old buddies growing up man they were good they were good ball hockey players uh um but uh you know i never really played ball hockey with my teammates uh in our nhl days not that i can remember i think we played we might have played a couple floor hockey games, you know, for, for promotional stuff or for charity or whatever. But uh, um, I think the, the, the last organized ball hockey I would have played in a, in a league in Hawkesbury, Ontario in about 19, I want to say 1977 or 78 or something. I mean, I've played a little bit since, but, uh, and who would I pick? I mean, you know, it's, probably take Connor mcdavid because he's played in the tournament right uh he's played and play on and uh i think he knows what uh, he's doing too you know yeah yeah if it's an over uh if it's for the old guys uh i might take theo flurry and theo was uh on the podcast and big supporter of play on as well and and uh so i might pick a guy like theo flurry and kevin i know you mentioned already about how uh playing street hockey really made you uh that jump to the nhl uh, i just want to know if you had any influences that kind of helped you get into the sport whether it was your dad or just uh that's where all the all your friends were doing uh what was what was that like yeah our family um no question my family my dad was a big influence unfortunately he passed away when i was 13 but by then i had you know i had the um i had all the proper um guidelines or the seeds were set i guess uh our family was a big hockey family in in the town of lachute uh my dad and his brothers um created the uh the first uh along with the lions cup the first public skating rink was outdoors that's where i learned to skate when i was about three years old and then by the time i was six the first indoor rink uh so called that would be about 1965 in were big a big influence on that i'm 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 uh, my generation is about 35 kids and i'm the third youngest and most of the boys just about all the boys played i had one cousin that was uh, actually um played some nhl games uh, another cousin that was drafted uh, another cousin that was really good unfortunately had bad knees and they, they were we were we were a good hockey family so uh, i was around it my whole life and uh and you know, I just moved along. I mean, it, 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 I just been playing. So you know, after Pee Wee is Bantam, and after Bantam is Midget, and after Midget is Junior, and after Junior is the NHL. I mean, that's just the way it worked for me. It wasn't no secret sauce there. I just loved doing what I was doing, and 
I was fortunate to be able to make the climb. I read Kevin uh, an article about you today about the advice that your dad gave you. Um, the two pieces of advice your dad gave you before kind of playing hockey. I wanted to ask you what was that advice? Oh God, that would be. Uh, I, I you know there's so many. Uh, I mean the, the the one thing I remember about my dad was when I was coming home from a game. You know I might have been uh, ten or eleven, and. Uh, you know, he had a, I guess I hadn't worked as hard that particular game. And, and, uh, so he, you know, he had a, a man to man conversation, but he, he, he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, you know, if you want to, if you want to, you can play in the NHL. And that's, you know, like, I'll, I'll never forget that. I, I didn't take it as gospel, but I, uh, you know, in hindsight, when I think back to it, I think that, you know, he must've known. I mean, I was never the best kid around like the best player, but I was always in the top of the, the top kids on every team I played on. And, and, um, and whether it was just my, my overall drive and love for the game and the hate to lose part that he saw all the elements that, you know, maybe gave me an opportunity, but really, uh, you know, I got, I got my toughness and my hard work from my dad and, but also respect of my teammates. Um, you know, I was, I grew up in a bilingual, uh, part of the province of Quebec and, and, uh, but there are many more French people than, than English. And I didn't speak a ton of French, but, uh, I learned it. Uh, and he, he made, you know, he, he encouraged me to learn it so that, uh, you know, I could communicate with my teammates and, um, yeah, just just you know, really push the boundaries for me uh, to 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 get out of my comfort zone and 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 really uh, you know get on an opportunity to grow to where where I eventually uh, got to. Did it ever hit you at one point that when you were growing up, did you kind of believe that you were going to be one, or was it kind of uh, you never looked that far ahead? Yeah, no, it, it it different era, right? Completely different era, like not. You know, nowadays kids are identified that you know when they're teenagers, right? Uh, not not the some of them are, right? The, the Connor McDavid's and the Crosby's, and but if you're, you know, I, I was drafted, um, I was drafted in the first round by the Quebec Ramparts. Didn't even know I got drafted. A friend of mine phoned me and said he was reading the newspaper and saw I got drafted. You know how weird is that? Yeah, what a way to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it wasn't like I was, you know, the 200th pick. I, you know, I was in the first round of, of the Quebec Junior League draft. Quebec was a pretty good team. And, uh, you know, I didn't even know if, I, didn't even, I, I can't even remember if I knew that there was, an, there was a draft. But then after my second year junior, um, the WHA were trying to sign some players. And it, it all of a sudden... Uh, the word it was again it was read in the newspaper that, that the Birmingham Bulls were were looking to sign me and, and so that was really the first first glimpse of you know I would have been 18 years old and the first glimpse of hey you know maybe I do have a chance and and had looked out you know looking to getting an agent and and uh yeah I, I mean I when you might be too young to remember but in you know in in 1978-79, the Baby Bulls, uh, Craig Hartsburg and Rob Ramage and Ricky Vive and and um, I'm trying to think who else uh, 
Pat Riggin. There was a bunch of guys that signed out of June. So they left junior a year early and uh, played for Birmingham because they could. Um, and I was offered the same contract, but, uh, but my family really didn't want me to go. So I stayed and played another, my last year junior in Quebec city. And then of course, uh, uh, reading hockey news and, and saw that, uh, you know, I was identified as a potential, well, at one point I, they had me rated as fourth overall. Uh, but I was always expected to be sort of a top 10 pick in, in my draft year, 79, 80. And, um, but then, uh, long story short, the WHA folded, they, they fold, they, they brought those four teams, the Oilers, the Jets, the Whalers, and the Nordiques into the league. And then they, they made two draft years in one year. So because of guys like Ray Bork, Tom McCarthy, and uh, there was a bunch of underage guys that got drafted in, in, in my draft year. So that pushed a bunch of us down. And uh, I went all the way to the last pick in the first round, which was uh, happened to be the Oilers and didn't even know Edmonton was in the NHL uh, and had never been further west than London, Ontario. But after three days at training camp, a guy by the name of Wayne Gretzky skated up beside me and said, uh, and I, of course, I had met Wayne already by then, but we're, we're warming up before practice. And he said, uh, hey, uh, maybe you and I should get a, we should room, become roommates in a room together and stuff. And I said, I don't even know if I'm going to make the team. And he said, oh, don't worry, you're going to make the team. And uh, <laughs> the, the rest was history. Certainly not missing a Sunday morning paper. That's for sure. <laughs> and Kevin, you, you know, the journey, you know, so young with the Oilers and then you grew up within the organization and you, there's some amazing teams that came out of that. And, you know, yourself, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Paul Coffey, the list, you know, goes on with great players. What was that dynamic like? And you talked about teamwork from a few moments ago. What was that teamwork dynamic like with that all-star group? Yeah, we were we were fortunate. I, I mean, I'd say that um, you're talking about some of the greatest players of all time. You know, certainly when you speak of of Wayne and Mark and, you know, throw Paul in and then yeah, add Curry Anderson and Fuhrer, those guys are, you know, Hall of Famers and and super talent. So the talent was there. All really good people, you know. All really, we're all still good friends to this day. Um, uh, but we were really fortunate to have um, uh, fantastic leadership when we got there as young as young players. And 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 uh, I like it that we you know we were we had character and we were quality people already. But but. Boy, it, it it means a lot when you have great leadership, and um, you know that really set the the seeds for us. Um, after a, you know a few years of being around those guys and and watching them and listening to them, and, and then you know shortly after the team started to have success, uh, of course we all. I mean Wayne, Wayne made it uh, much easier for a lot of us to transition to that level of greatness because. You know, he 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 took he took a lot of the attention away from all of us, so it allowed us to you know the expectations were on him. They were really never on us until we became a good team, and then the expectations were on the team. Uh, there was no never any jealousies. Um, you know, Wayne was and Mark for that matter were were 
just great people and great teammates. Uh, so we, we, I mean, it, it, it became, uh, I guess for us, it became Camelot. Um, but we just, we enjoyed the ride. We, we, we loved to play. Uh, we hated to lose. We loved the win. We, we, we quickly equated with winning, fun, losing, bad, sad. So, uh, you know, uh, like it's Pavlov's theory, right? So, um, um, we, we, we committed ourselves and that, that's another thing I'd say about the group is that, and I'm not saying that, it, you know, players don't, you know, in, in recent decades or, or whatever, but, but, uh, winning the cup every year was, was our expectation. I, I imagine most NHL players set that as a, as, as an expectation or a hope. Um, but for us, it was, you know, super disappointing if we didn't win. So, um, we, we, we committed ourselves, you know, the, the, uh, on the ice, off the ice, away from the game. I mean, we had our fun, don't get me wrong, but, but at the end of the day, it was, there was no fun unless we were winning. So that was always the most important thing. Did you know back then that this was going to be a special group that's going to get talked about for like the rest of, uh, uh hockey time? No, uh, certainly not in the early years as, as the further we went on and we started, you know, we started winning cups, but even then, you know, we're coming on the heels of the Montreal Canadians winning five in a row, the New York Islanders winning four in a row. So, you know, you knew that if you, even if you won three cups, it's like, well, you're still not a great team, right? You got to get to four or five if you're going to match up with the greatest of all time. So that, that took a long time. Um, and, but, you know, maybe the difference is Wayne setting all those records and Paul setting all those records. And, and, um, I, you know, I, we were an entertaining team to watch. I think, you know, even for our, our you know, biggest critics and the people that, uh, that, that didn't like the orders because they had another favorite team. Uh, if you gave them true serum, they'd say, you know, they, they enjoyed watching the Oilers because we played a high tempo game and, you know, we changed the game in the eighties, right. Came from a more of a, the flyers and the Bruins of the seventies, the Montreal Canadians could do it both ways. The Islanders uh, were a heavier team, but they're, they're an entertaining team. The game was starting to change. And then of course the Oilers took it to another level. So, uh, you know, it's arguable. We were voted as the, uh, the 85 team was go- voted as the greatest team of all time in the NHL's 100th anniversary. I'm sure there's Montreal Canadiens that disagree with that selection. And I'm sure there's Islanders that disagree with that selection, but it is what it is. They, they, you know, we'll never know, but uh, um, we had a lot of respect for those great Montreal Canadian teams and, and particularly the Islander teams, because they are the ones that we had to knock off to sort of uh, give ourselves a chance to get the mantle. And one more for me about uh, your days of playing in the NHL. How did the group stay motivated to win those cups every year? Because many teams, once they win, you kind of take a step back. But with with yourself and and the group, it was a consistent, you know, couple few years of winning. Yeah, I think um, I'd say, as I mentioned earlier, we 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 just loved the win. And uh, I mean, as a kid, I was hardwired. I had a terrible temper if I lost. And, and um, 
and I would say a lot of the, a lot of those players had, you know, the similar mentality. We, 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 we expected to win, uh, not in a take it for granted way, but just, we expected ourselves to, to, to do the job to, to, to win. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know, uh, what else to say really, uh, um, we, we, you know, I, you know, I, I jokingly said it, but it's true. You, you learn like in the NHL, you know, Mike Keenan had a saying, you know, there's two things in, in hockey, there's winning and then there's misery. And, and, uh, and, and he's right. You know, if it, you know, once you, once you set the bar, once you're a, considered a winner and win a cup, uh, if you don't win the next year, you're a failure. You know, I mean, people don't call you a failure, but you consider yourself, it's a failed season. So you just, you, you learn, you, you, you learn the recipe. I mean, we had some hard lessons, uh, losing in 82, the Los Angeles Kings getting swept by the Islanders in 83. So, I mean, that really, then we're, once we got the secret sauce or once we dialed into the recipe, then you hang on to that, you know, and we were young enough. And of course, at that stage, we're winning cups when we're quite young. So there was no reason why I couldn't win a bunch more. It would be, you know, at the end of the day, I always said, listen, a lot of series were hard. There were, you know, 1990 against the Jets down 3-1. Um, the Flames always played us tough. The Jets always played us tough. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks in the semifinals a few times. But I always felt that if we played to our expectation and, and played, you know, within the system that the coaches put together, that in a seven game series, we weren't going to lose. And, and that's the way it turned out a lot of years. Yeah. I think that really just boils all boils down to your statement about how uh, winning uh, is just so much better and like losing, you almost hate it more than you like to win, you know, that kind of, that kind of mindset. Uh, but I know uh, a question that I asked, I often hear from uh, guys that have won multiple cups. Do you have a favorite cup uh, win or, or are they all the same or like, is it something like a, a celebration that sticks out in your mind? Yeah. The first is of course, is the, is the one that's, you know, most uh, cherished, I guess, because you, you think back, we're talking about street hockey, you know, I'm sitting on the bench in May 19th, 1984 at North Plans Coliseum. And as the final seconds are down, I, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, this is this is surreal. You know, within minutes, I'm going to get to touch the Stanley Cup. Every street hockey game, road hockey game I ever played, it was always for the Stanley Cup. You know, you're playing for the Cup. And, and uh and, uh, you know, particularly in the springtime when you, we'd go in and watch the, the Canadians play and then in between periods run out and play street hockey and then go back in and come back out. And so that the, the 84 Cup, the first one that the Oilers won that I won, sticks out. And then I'd say um, probably um, um, the 94 Cup with the Rangers uh, because that was with another group of guys that had played for the Oilers, uh, particularly Mark Messier, <clears throat> um, Craig McTavish, kicking in Bukaboom, Adam Graves. Uh, um, uh, the Rangers hadn't won a cup in 54 years. 
the Leafs are going through that now and 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 uh, you know kind of shocking when you think about it like uh, we, the first game I played with the Rangers on Long Island the fans were chanting and I could I didn't understand what they're chanting and I asked one of the guys on the bench and they were chanting 1940 because that's the last time the the the, the uh, Rangers had won the cup so <laughs> You know, there, there, there was a lot of exercising demons, you know, uh, remember, you know, there was over a million people at the parade, uh, going down the Avenue of, uh, of, uh, the champions, I think it's called, um, on the floats and remember seeing at a street corner, there was a little guy and another older person, clearly his dad. And then another older person was his grandfather. They had a sign. I thank you. My dad, thanks you. My grandfather, thanks you, you know for 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 when it bring the cup back to new york so that that was pretty special that must have been amazing to see taking a little bit of a turn kevin because we want to ask you about management so my understanding is that you went from the rangers um, got traded back to edmonton to finish your career and then you end up being you retire and then you have you end up being an assistant coach how was that uh transition like become from a player to an assistant coach yeah it, it you know by then i i played almost 20 years in the league. Um, you know, when you're, you're, I was 39 years old. Um, as an older player, you almost become a quasi coach, you know, even though you don't get the title coaches lean on, on the older guys, um, uh, from time to time and, you know, get their thoughts and, and your, your mind starts getting in that, in that mode when you realize, boy, I don't have a lot of playing days left. What am I going to do? I always said I would, I wanted to stay in hockey if it wasn't directly in, you know, coaching or scouting or uh, it'd be indirectly and in, 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 uh, on the media side because I'd, I'd done a fair amount of media work in Edmonton in the off seasons, et cetera. So um, when, uh, when I made my decision to come back to Edmonton for, uh, for to play one more year, the Oilers had, uh, they had some good young players and, and Glenn Sather was looking for some veteran leadership. And, and um, I, uh, he asked me to come back and, and I said, well, I've got another option. There's one other team offering me a chance to, to, to um, play for another year and then be involved in the organization. And, you know, what can you do? And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to get into coaching. And he said, fine. He said, um, like, all right, we'll sign you for one year to play and two years as an assistant coach, you, you, you can't sign those deals anymore. Uh, there's a standard players contract that you, you can't add those things in. So I, I was pretty fortunate. I came back and the year went well, the orders made the playoffs. They hadn't made the playoffs in four years and they made it again. So I decided to delay my coaching and, and played for another year. Um, and then, um, transitioned into an assistant coach. And, um, and I enjoyed that. I worked with, Ron Lowe and Ted Green and was just figuring that I'd be assistant coach for a you know a bunch of years and 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 um would have enjoyed that but uh you know Glenn Sather wanted to make a coaching change the very next year and I became head coach uh I was fortunate Craig McTavish was an assistant with the Rangers and he was ready to be a, a you know top coach um so I was able to get Craig to come to Edmonton with me and, and, uh, help out. And then of course, uh, uh, Charlie Huddy as well. Uh, my old teammate who had been doing some coaching. So, um, 
I, I, you know, we, I only was a head coach for a year and then I went on to be a general manager. I was getting fast tracked, uh, uh, right out of the league. Uh, but you know, you know, fortunate that I got the opportunities and had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, uh, playing is always playing is the most fun. I enjoyed the coaching part and the managing part, but, but no question being a player is, uh, if you had to pick one of the jobs, uh, being a player is the most fun. It's so cool how you got to experience all this. I just have one more question to your playing days. Uh, playing all those years for the Oilers and only uh, for the Rangers for the brief stint, how weird was that just to throw on a different colored jersey for the first first time? Yeah, it was. I, I mean, I got traded. In, uh, I was without a contract. Um, I'd played 13 years. So, so players are free agents, unrestricted free agents after seven years now. I had played 13 years, and I still I wasn't an unrestricted free agent. Different era. Talk about lack of player rights. Um, and but so I made a decision um, that it was time to move on. And um, Glenn Sather wasn't too keen on trading me, so I didn't get traded till December. So I was out of hockey for you know from the from the spring till uh, I think we lost uh, the previous spring to the. Uh, to the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, if I remember correctly. And uh, yeah, I didn't play again until December when I got to New York. So it was weird, it, it, it didn't, uh, I didn't have a great year. Um, and I, I really, um, experience wise, recognize now when players, particularly older players get you know, traded to new organizations, it takes an adjustment period, uh, takes some adjustment. And uh, of course uh, that season ended, the Rangers didn't make the playoffs. And then the next year we won the president's cup and uh, went all the way to game seven and win the Stanley cup. So uh, it, it, it was great. I love, you know, by then I had settled in. I, I enjoyed, I loved playing for the Rangers, great organization. I loved living in New York city. Uh, and, but, you know, I'm glad I did it. I got experience playing and working for another organization. I was ready to, you know, come back home to Edmonton. So uh, like a, uh... Continuing on with uh, your uh, your management skills there, uh, uh, how uh, different was it from uh, instead of uh, like watching the games and not being able to hop over the boards and try to make something about it and uh, just uh, watching, kind of observing and then working that way with players? Yeah, I I, um, I enjoyed the, the strategy part um, on the coaching side, you know, trying to you know, we were always given the strategy by the coaches. Now it's, now it's your turn to, you know, to come up with a, a new twist if things aren't going well, a new breakout. Uh, um, and I, I enjoyed mostly, uh, most of the five on five and the, and the penalty kill stuff for me and, and, uh, and Craig McTavish um, did a lot of the power play stuff. Uh, I was never really, I was never a power play guy. So I was happy to delve that off to someone else, but um yeah, and it was just good to see, you know, all I asked was, you know, simple. My my philosophy was simple is, you know, play as a team, um, you know, come to work. Um, and, and uh, you know, we always had, especially in those 90s or early, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, the Oilers had really a good, uh, they had a lot of blue collar players. So, um, you know, we didn't we didn't win as many in those days we're playing against Colorado Detroit um, 
um, particularly in our in our conference, you know, big payrolls. Uh, I think at one point we, we were about 25 million and, and those Dallas, those teams were up in the 75, 80, 85. The Rangers are $95 million. So it was, you know, you felt like you had one hand tied behind your back. But at the end of the day, you know, you got the right players that, that we had. We, we made it tough on the opposition. We had, uh, we had legendary games against the Dallas Stars in the playoffs, played them six or seven years or something. And, and they were a big payroll team, top team to eventually won a cup, but uh, they never loved playing our team. And, and uh, I, I enjoyed being a, a coach on that team and then enjoyed being a manager of that team for a bunch of years. Uh, it was fun to see disappointing not to be able to win but certainly realistic that that um you know we were unfortunately we were never involved in free agency and so we couldn't bring in kind of the marquee players to make to be the difference makers speaking about management kevin i read today that between 2000 and 2008 in your time as gm the oilers had the 13th most wins in the nhl and that was from oilersnation.com um, obviously, many Canadians remember the 2006 Stanley Cup Finals. A difficult ending to that, but what was that experience like? Oh, that was amazing. You know, we had, again, we had, we had really, we'd made the trade for Chris Pronger um, and Michael Pekka. It was coming out of the, out of the uh, lockout year. Hockey had, you know, was off was off for an entire year in the 0405 season. And so we came back. We, we knew we had a lot of good players, hard work and smart players. And, um, you know, adding uh, particularly Pronger, uh, Chris Pronger, uh, you know, really gave us a, a step up. But, um, you know, all that season, um, we were, um, we were in every game, but we were just, we didn't seem to be getting, you know, there was less emphasis on, on the, you know, the, the, there wasn't as many metrics to, to identify, you know, where your, your, your gaps would be in your organization or, or your team for that matter, as they have today that might've identified that. Um, but just with our eyes, we'd see that, you know, there, there was a, we'd have a, we had a saying in the dressing room, in the coach's room after the game, you know, that you're wondering whether a goalie, ah, should he have made that save? You know, like, it's like kind of snuck through. What do you think? Was that a bad goal or not? And uh, it was Craig McTavish that actually said, if you have, if you ask the question, if you have to ask the question, you know, the answer. And so we decided to go out and get a goalie and uh, we got, you know, Dwayne Rolson and that was predicated um, on, on save percentage. Um, there was a, there was a handful of goalies that we identified and, and Rolly had always had a good save percentage. So, um, you know, nowadays, uh, uh, as far as analytics are concerned, um, you know, that's a pretty obvious one, but it wasn't really identified back then. And he just fit in with us like a glove and we went on a, a magical run. Um, uh, there was one, one person that had actually said going into the playoffs that year, uh, from an analytics standpoint, analytics was just beginning. The best team in the conference was the Detroit Red Wings and who the Oilers happened to be playing in the first round. He had said that if the Oilers happened to beat the Red Wings, that they would go to the Stanley Cup Finals, which is kind of amazing that, that this person had predicted that. Uh, but it just goes to show you how important goaltending is. To, uh, it, it, you know, as um, one of the late great uh, coaches uh, 
said, uh, you know, goaltending, uh, it, it, it's everything, right? It, it's, um, it's 80% if you have it and it's a hundred percent if you don't have it. So, uh, that was a fun run. It's a shame that Dwayne Rolson got hurt. I mean, UC Markin and played well, but, um, you know, Rolson, we were just on such a roll winning three, nothing in that first game. And then he got injured and we, we lose, uh, crazily and then uh well we took it to seven and it was a good run i felt bad for the players particularly because uh, none of them on the team had won a cup so uh you know that's that's as close uh, well 99 percent of them chris pronger went on to win yeah i still remember watching that series uh so many great players i remember uh the Oilers players in their home games just skating out underneath that uh oil rig or whatnot in yeah. their home games uh Fernando uh, Pizzani, is it? yeah, and then uh, Ryan Smith was another guy on that team, I believe, yeah. So the, that that was a great series to watch. So you've been around the game for decades, you know. You really like grew with the sport. How much has really changed in your perspective uh, from just uh, the game overall, from when you started in the NHL to uh, where you are today? Yeah, the game. I mean, I. I, I... I love watching the game. Uh, I mean, it's still hockey. I mean, the rules have changed things. Uh, I was part of the competition committee in, um, in 0405 in that lockout year to, you know, to the game had really stagnated. There was a lot of hooking and holding. So made a lot of changes in, in the rules that sped up the game. Um, what's changed. I mean, the training, the, as I talked about, uh, you know, the, kids are training at a, such a young age that so they're they're you know bigger and faster and and stronger uh all relatively speaking for you know for this era um the uh the speed of the game it's a puck possession game now now you don't you know you don't want to dump it in unless you have to you don't want to transport it you, you got to hang on to the puck because it's tough to get it back um it, you know, it's, it's not as crazy as the eighties with, you know, the head hunting and the, and the stick work and stuff, but I wouldn't say it's any less physical uh, because the emphasis on, on, on puck control and, and puck possession. So when, when you're, you know, when you're, uh, you know, an offensive player hanging on the puck and cycling it down in the corners, you're taking a terrible pounding on yourself to, to maintain, maintain possession and, and the, and the battles for the puck, you know, the, the strength of the players fighting for the puck. Uh, it's a very physical game, uh, uh, just in a different way. So, uh, and of course, you know, much more media attention, social media and, and uh, you know, the advent to the internet and, and, and uh, networks and, you know, so, so on. Uh, the, the game gets so much more exposure. So, I mean, we could get him in Los Angeles on a Tuesday night and, you know, the rest of the country didn't know, uh, so you could make a mistake. But, of course, if, if you uh, if you whiff on one, if you're the goal nowadays or you, or you do something, uh, I mean, the, the entire hockey world knows about it within a nanosecond, uh, let alone <coughs> in our days, they might not ever find, about, find out about it. So, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of different things, but I think the game's in a great place. Uh, it's still exciting to watch uh, and it's growing worldwide. So that's a good thing. A final question for you, Kevin, because we mentioned Scott Hill and he often asks this question. What does street hockey mean to Canadians in your opinion? 
Yeah, it, I mean, for my generation, it's, it's, it means so much. Uh, it's what we did. You know, this is pre-phones, uh, pre-lap, uh, you know, uh, tablets, etc. cetera. Uh, completely different era. I'm fearful that people are missing the opportunity. Kids, you know, primarily kids, I think, of, are missing the opportunity to get out and, and, and play the sport because of what's going on. So that's what I like about play on. You know, it brings much more awareness about it. But it's such a, uh, you know, it's such an inexpensive thing. You need a, you need a hockey stick and a ball, a couple nets. In our day, we didn't even have nets. We, you know, put clumps of snow on the side or do whatever we could. Some people made homemade nets, and and uh, you could entertain yourself for hours. You know, literally hours. Uh, so, um, I, and and I, I, I don't, you know, I'm sure our American friends and our and our Scandinavian friends. Uh, might be saying, well, no, they're playing street hockey, uh, you know, as early as Canadians. But I just got to think that it's a, it's a, it's a Canadian thing. It's another one of those things that we can be proud of that, you know, we are certainly, if we weren't the first, we're one of the first. And, and there's not a ton that we have uh, really to, to be able to say that about. So um, I just hope that it, uh, we, with play on, we can, we can keep it fresh and uh, top of mind for for Canadians and uh, and uh, yeah um, we're 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 keeping you know people out in the open or outdoors or you know, I guess you can play street hockey indoors as well but you know keeping them uh, healthy more than anything and 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 having fun in a good Canadian thing. Awesome, very well said. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin, for uh, doing this. You know we appreciate you having you on the podcast and I know being on the podcast is probably right up there with you with all these uh, keen uh, hockey memories. Yeah, good. Well, glad. Well, I'm sure we'll connect with you guys one of these days uh, yeah. in, in, in the real world and not the virtual yeah. world. But, yeah. Yeah. Kevin, come back anytime you want. Anytime you want. You're always welcome here on the podcast. Um, to wrap this up, here at Play On, we're building Canada with one game at a time. And when you have people like Kevin Lowe on the play on Canada board, life is pretty good. Our final thoughts coming up. Stay with us. Okay, that was the legendary Kevin Lowe. Um, what a great conversation we had with him. Mr. Scott, do you have any thoughts about our conversation with Kevin Lowe? Not too many thoughts from the actual conversation. It's just my overall impression from Kevin Lowe, from just uh, doing talking to him like he's just you would think Kevin Lowe looking at his resume his career what he's done for the not only the Edmonton Oilers the NHL but like just the sport of hockey he's a pretty genuine dude like he uh he talks to you like you're just another guy you know and it's just uh it really feels that way whenever you talk to him that you like this personal connection and that's just my overall impression like I was blown away about how personable Kevin Lowe is so that's that's my key takeaway from this interview yeah he has a presence to him even though we're virtual and we're recording here virtually he has a presence about him and I can listen to him speak all day uh, just when he talked about the play on uh you know him joining the board of directors and then we kind of launched into his you know playing days and then launching into his uh, days of coaching and 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 so forth it was just amazing to hear him speak about all of his experiences like what a legend in hockey to put in perspective what a legend in hockey kevin lowe is 
Yeah, exactly. I agree with you 100% there, Vinny. And also, how bizarre is it that he found out he was drafted from the newspaper the next day? <laughs> uh, talk about the changing of times, you know, from, from speaking to junior <laughs> hockey players. They find out they're drafted, and I want to say they get thousands of texts and phone calls within a half hour. You know, so there's no way that no one misses it. And that him, for him not to know that he got drafted, you know, in the first round till the next day, reading the paper. Like, I, I couldn't imagine that being like, oh, well, here we go. <laughs> it's like the story of my life with notifications on my phone. It seems like you get every update from every app and every text message. So it's pretty incredible to find out that way. Quick, quick question for you. What were your thoughts about... Um, when he was when he was talking about the Edmonton Oilers in his playing days, because he talked about how how the group consistently wanted to win, and if there was a failure, if they didn't win, it was considered a failure. How did you take that? I took that as in like, as much as they wanted to win, they hated to lose, almost like the same amount. Like there was just, and it's cool to think because like everyone in sports like any professional athlete will tell you that they're there to win it all but you you never hear about them saying like it's a failure if you don't and and that was one thing that i kind of like raised an eyebrow to is that it was a failure for them not to win the cup like that's you got to be good to kind of have that expectation year after year but it, it was just incredible and you know he that team that's another reason why they were so great and they did so well in the NHL. 100% agree. The expectations were so high and they lived up to them 100%. Okay, that concludes our episode for this week. We'll be back next Thursday on an all-new episode. Make sure you follow us on social media at Play on Canada. Please give us a rating out of five on Apple Podcasts and please give us a positive review because we, we want those reviews coming in. Join the conversation at Play on Canada. Thank you very much, Mr. Scott. What a great pleasure this is to share this moment with you, to interview a legend like Kevin Lowe. And thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back next week.